um, and the scripture that I shared last time about uh, uh, Joel 2.28 uh, and the second half of it, which I shared, I thought uh, I should uh, uh, dwell on this uh, uh, message uh, where the Spirit of God is spoken in uh, figurative speech, in metaphors here, as water, as fire, as wind. And so today, this uh, morning, uh, uh, I thought we could uh, meditate on the first aspect of the Holy Spirit of God. And um, uh, we as a church, I mean, we as, 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 as I think all the nations of the world, uh, we never expected that the first half of uh, 2020 uh, in our lives will, will go through this way, something that we never thought of, never planned, and we didn't get time even to prepare. And uh, there was no government, there was no, uh, you know, uh, a window from the medical science. I think we didn't get any elaborate prophecies over what's going to happen, the word Corona and other things. And uh, the whole uh, first half of uh, 2020 just went into a period of dryness. And so uh, I just thought I will just take these two words. One is dryness to fruitfulness. That could be one, one, one title of the message this morning. But talking about the Holy Spirit of God as water and uh, the metaphor that the Bible uses to explain the Holy Spirit of God to us as water. We need to understand that Bible uses anthropomorphic terminology. You don't have to worry about this Greek word. It's not, uh, anthropos means man, morpha means image. And so in order to explain God to us, you see, we, we cannot understand God with our own our own, uh, you know, uh, a finite mind. We are just so limited to understand this, the vastness of God, the greatness of God, unless and until he reveals himself to us. There is no way. And no, no wonder for us as Christians and for us as New Testament believers, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no mind has understood. Look at normally we have eyes and ears and mind as our cognitive facilities to understand things. But when God wanted to show himself to us, he said, no eye, no ear, no mind can ever know. And then the next line in, in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 is, he's revealed it by the Holy Spirit. The truth that we have is by revelation and not by detailed processing. No wonder the Pharisees, the learned people, they knew where Jesus was born, but they did not have the revelation that they should go and worship him as the king of the Jews. And so we can have a lot of information. Information is of no use for us. It's the revelation that leads us to transformation. And the Holy Spirit of God is the agent of revelation and transformation. It is so, and every time you sit down to hear God's word, and every time the unfolding of God's word brings in light, the Holy Spirit of God is in the process of transforming us. And I want us to believe, even in the hearing and the speaking and the understanding of God's word this morning, the word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is transforming us to be like Christ. Christ-likeness, is the highest destination of a Christian. That's the last stop of our Christian life. What is God doing with all the events around the globe? He's conforming us to be in the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. Why do we worship? Why do we have messages? Why do we have all that we're going through in life? What is God doing in our life? He's conforming us to be like his son, Jesus Christ. The trials, the tribulations, the pains, the sorrows, the joys of life 
God uses everything so that we will be more like Jesus Christ. And so that is, that is um, a thought, a tangent to, to the thought that, that we're going to discuss. Now, I'm going to bring about a strange verse. I don't know whether I brought it out some time ago. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, when an unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places. I want us to make an observation here. When, I, when, 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 we, when the Lord said about unclean spirit, let me just, just separate the three spirits that, that the Bible mentions. We have the unclean spirit, which is the evil spirit. Then we have one opposite to it, which is the Holy Spirit. And third, we have the human spirit. There are three spirits mentioned in the Bible. Now, human spirit, we all know what, what is in us. And we've received it from the Lord. And after we die, goes back to the Lord. That's what the Bible says. And here you have two other spirits, evil spirit and Holy Spirit. Now look at what the evil spirit is attracted to. When the evil spirit comes out of a man, he walketh through dry places. Now look at, look at the personal pronoun for a spirit. He, he walketh through dry places. Evil spirit is attracted to dryness. And every time we give our mind to the works of the enemy, to the works of the flesh, we are pushed to dryness. Have you ever wondered why I cannot pray? I don't get excited about the things of God. I lose my focus on missions. Life is so depressed. I don't know whether I can make it for another day. Nothing seems to be happening in my family. I'm bogged down, despondent, depressed. I'm kind of decaying. Where do you get all that from? Evil spirit pushes people to dryness. Look at, look at uh, the other translation, NASB. Now, when an evil spirit, unclean spirit goes, goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places. Somewhere evil pushes us to dryness, unfruitfulness, where things of God does not happen. My mind is so dry, I don't get an inclination towards the things of God. And that's what the evil spirit wants to do. The more room we give to evil, life is boring, I don't think God can do anything with this first half of, of 2020. And so we have a lot of things happening in our mind. Look at what evil spirit, the last one, evil spirit leaves a person. It goes into a desert. Keep this verse in mind as we come to the last verse at the end of the sermon. Now, look at what the evil spirit does, the evil force does. When the enemy came and attacked Adam and Eve, they were in a place called the garden, four rivers fruitfulness everything for them was provided the moment they got deceived by the enemy look at where they were expelled they were expelled into a dry place into wilderness now six lakh men out of egypt close to three million people out of egypt going towards the promised land where did they lose the battle right in the wilderness the whole generation collapsed in dryness, wilderness, complaining, murmuring, will God ever do that? Where will we get? Will Moses ever lead us? Dryness. When dryness hits us, we lose the focus of the promise. Now, where was Jesus tempted? In a dry place, in a Judean wilderness. The enemy is attracted to dryness. The See, fear is good. But sustained fear is when the door is opened up for the enemy. And so dryness, evil spirit, evil forces you to get into and lock up and cocoon yourself in dryness. 
will God ever do? And Jesus went to this place. There are only two places Jesus did international ministry that is out of Israel. One was a place called Gatherings in Mark chapter 5. And then he went to the region of Tyre and Sidon to meet a woman in Syrophoenician region. One woman whose daughter was possessed by an evil spirit. Look at two places that Jesus goes in his full ministry. Two international trips that he takes to meet only one person. And he doesn't preach there. There he goes and expels an evil spirit. Both of them are in dryness. Look at this man living in the tombs, totally dry. His whole territory, his family, his future, his destiny was tied up in dryness. Jesus goes and sets him free. So evil spirit is attracted to dryness. Now let us look at the Holy Spirit. The first mention of the Holy Spirit is quite interesting. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 in the beginning. You all can complete that sentence. God created heavens and the earth. Now, very interesting word that's used in Hebrews in, in, in Hebrew in Genesis 1 to the earth was formless and void. The Hebrew word is tohu and bohu, which exactly means wilderness and dryness. When earth was fully dry, empty, darkness was on the surface of the deep. Nothing seems to be moving. Everything seems to be standstill. Tohu and bohu. Just then you have the Bible trying to tell about the Holy Spirit of God. Now, and the Spirit of God moved. Look at the characteristic of the Holy Spirit of God. First mention of the Holy Spirit of God is not fire, is not Tao, is not power. It's not other figure of speech and, and figurative language that the Bible uses. First is the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. It's as if as if the Spirit of God and waters kissed each other. Now look at how interesting it is when there was full of wilderness and dryness and emptiness, that which breaks the power of dryness and the Lord introduces the Holy Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God who breaks the dryness. What is the agency that breaks dryness? It is water. And so today I would like to highlight on this picture of the Holy Spirit, which is water. And when we embrace the Holy Spirit of God, when we worship in the Spirit, when we pray in the Spirit, when we walk in the Spirit, when we thirst after the Spirit, that is the gushing out of water in a believer's life that will make us fruitful in spite of all the dryness that we see around. People are dying. Painful nuisances, Grieving nuisances that we have are all around. There's always that smell of death and danger around. In spite of that, if a believer has to move on the pathway of fruitfulness, we need the gushing out of the Holy Spirit of God, gushing out of that living water by the Holy Spirit of God. And so that's the whole thought for this, for this day. I'm going to take up some examples and then we will rush into God's word. Now, look at this. The Spirit of God moved. No wonder we have the move of the Holy Spirit. When everything seems to be dry, when you embrace the Holy Spirit, when you walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you're a Christian who moves upon the face of the water. Now, now watch, watch this as I bring about these four M's for us. In the last 500 years of church history, we can divide this 500 years into four M's. Whenever God wants to do his work on the planet, he always chooses a man. God is not gender specific. He can use man or a woman. That is the first M. Whenever God wants to deal with the affairs of humanity, he always puts his finger on a man. There is a call of God on each one of our lives. 
that is a call of God on you. You can, you can give all excuses. You can have a stammering tongue. You can say, I'm not from a good family. I don't know how to speak. You can say, I'm from a poor village. But I want to tell you in the name of Jesus, God does not make dummies in the kingdom. You're not a prop sitting on a shelf in the kingdom of God. No, there's a call of God in your life. We got to recognize that. Enemy always uses your past to kill your future. Don't allow to suck yourself into your past. No, there is a call of God on your life. God always chooses a man. When he wanted to recreate the earth and he wanted to establish the plan of salvation, he called Abraham who was still worshiping idols. There was no prophet, there was no TV, there was no message, there was no Bible. But somewhere he was sensitive to share and leave his father and mother. Go to the land which God has promised. We need to learn to hear God from the inside. Watch this very carefully. Most of us want to have speakers around us to listen to God. No, God's voice primarily is on the inside. Inside, I'm going to come to that in a while, but learn to tune yourself to listen to him on the inner voice, the inside, the inner voice. Whenever God chooses a man, there is mission. God does not choose you and leave you alone. No, he gives you a mission. He puts you on a task to fulfill. The Holy Spirit of God is given to all of us for a mission. There is a mission that we need to fulfill. That's why we are a church. That's why we church, we have a mission. We have a missions prayer. We have a missions department. We want to support missions. We want to launch out. There is that apostolic tangent to our call that is going out and sending. Whenever God calls you, God does not call you to sit in a chair and have a life full, filled with bed of roses. No, there is a mission. Be conscious about the mission of God in your life. The call of God is always an interruption. Can I tell that again? The call of God is always an interruption. Jesus never chose a lazy man. As they were casting their net, he called them. Zacchaeus was still in his business when he felt the master was calling him. Luke was a doctor. Paul was on the road on Damascus. They were always, there was that verb there. You don't have to come to a standstill in your life to receive a call of God. The call of God is always an interruption in your life. Embrace the mission of God. Third, whenever there's a mission, there is movement. Different movements begin. You can talk about any denomination. God always chose a man. From the man came mission. From the mission came movement. Whenever you lose movement, we become a monument. We become a monument. What is monument? No movement. You become a statue. And every time you notice in church history, you hit the peak when there is no movement, we become too religious, we build monuments. And we always talk about the past. If there is no movement, look at, look at what the Holy Spirit comes when there is dryness, is when God would pour out His Holy Spirit upon a generation, upon a church, so that they will move. There is the move of the Holy Spirit. There's an impetus to move. And I pray that as a church, we will sustain that movement till the Lord comes. For that, we need the move of the Holy Spirit. The move of the Holy Spirit is a prerequisite for a revival in our church. And that movement begins with us. Now, always notice the Holy Spirit of God is not walking on the street. 
the holy spirit of god is not somewhere in the sky he's not locked up in a building the spirit of god is dwelling in us if there is any movement it will move us it will move you and me towards the things of god and so that's how the holy spirit of god is introduced for us in the scriptures something to note before i pass on genesis chapter 2 and the spirit of god moved upon the face of the waters now watch this very carefully water and spirit are bo both in in the same image and now you have this in verse 3 and god said let's take it a little slow here so that we will understand what jesus said in a little while spirit of god moved upon the waters there was the holy spirit of god and god said what did god said word the combination of the spirit and the word and god said let there be be means live come to being let there be let there be life whenever the word and the spirit move join together culminate together cooperate together couple together is when you have life spirit and word gives life now this is where john 663 comes to being the words flesh amounts to nothing the words that i speak to you they are full of spirit and they are life word and spirit join together there is life and when there is life there is movement life begins in the womb you start the baby starts kicking life begins there there is movement and every time we have the move of the holy spirit you have a resurgence and revival in the word when the spirit and the word come together there is life and so i pray that we will be individuals as in our family in our individual life there will be the move of the holy spirit and there'll be the thirst for the word of god and then that will bring forth life and life will permeate and so look at how god began the whole creation story and causing that to be a precedence for us the spirit and the word is the agency for life and so taking this forward of 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 studying the holy spirit of god and water and birth new birth ezekiel gets a vision right there in kebar river he's locked up in babylon and he gets a glimpse of the new covenant i'm quoting ezekiel 36 25 to 27 i will sprinkle clean water look at the imagery used by god to explain spiritual things to us clean water on you and you will be clean i will cleanse you from all impurities and from all idols and i will i will give you a new heart and a new spirit now watch this clean water in verse 25 26 is new heart and new spirit in you between that you have get rid of impurities it's very simple i i i mean sometimes i i lament over the lack of holiness messages that we used to have 20 30 years ago and uh, one of the if if look at look at the terminologies that we have evil spirit pushes you to do evil human spirit pushes you to do something that is off human strength what is that one virtue of the holy spirit that he will push you to do he will push you into the realm of holiness he will make you more holy evil spirit makes you more evil human spirit makes you more human holy spirit should make us more more holy and one of the characteristic features of the holy spirit of god is he will impute that holiness he will work in us to get rid of the impurities unless there is a deep conviction of sin 
repentance of sin, turning away from unrighteousness, crucifying the flesh. Let's not expect the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The true streams will not flow in the same river. I will cleanse. Look at that. I will cleanse prerequisite you from all your impurities and your, all your idols. And I will make, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. Verse 27. I will put my spirit in you. And what? And what? Look at that verb. Move you. Wow. When there is that flow of the river movement. I will move you. Have you been moved by the spirit? Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus was moved to touch the leper. Jesus was moved to open the scroll and read Isaiah 61. Jesus was moved to do the father's will. Move. The spirit of God would come and move. Are we, are we following the impetus and the movement of the Holy Spirit of God? I will put my spirit in you, verse 27, and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. One thing, one thing that a believer should delight in to enjoy the fullness of God is this one simple word, which is so profound in the Bible, is the word obedience. Can you see that? I will put my spirit and move you. I mean, we have a lot of expressions of the Holy Spirit of God. Some are very disturbing what we see in the modern church. But look at the key factor in verse 27. When there is the move of the Holy Spirit, you're moved to obey God. It boils down to that one word, obey, obedience, obedience. I like what Jesus I mean, I'm impressed. I'm so humbled by the gigantic figure. And every time you look at the Lord in the Gospels, we feel ashamed of ourselves and we would want to repent in dust and ashes. Now, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit right from birth. His name Messiah, anointed one. Everything about him was anointing. But he had to obey the Father by being quiet for the first 30 years. He had full power. He could argue with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He could smash anyone intellectually. His power was so present for him to do all the signs, wonders and miracles. But Jesus, Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5, Jesus learned. Anybody? Jesus learned. Anybody want to fill that line? Jesus learned obedience. My goodness. <laughs> Jesus learned. Jesus had to learn something. Jesus, Jesus learned obedience. Obedience to the Father's will. Obedience in what way? Not to do what he wanted. It was so easy for Jesus to get salvation in six hours. Six hours. Yes, church, that's all it meant. If you're going to take up the cross, take it up at nine o'clock, walk through the streets of Jerusalem, be crucified at 12, three o'clock you give up the spirit. The whole dying on the cross is done, but that's not everything. He was obedient from day one to age 30. Not to do his will, but to listen to his, what his father said. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He moves you to obey God. The coming of the Holy Spirit is not about making noise. Not about the, the, the extra, extra expressions that we have of the Holy Spirit. That's not the main key. Look at what the prophet would envision in the days to come. When the, I will put my Holy Spirit in you. 
and move you to follow my decrees and be careful on my love. Let me make a, one more careful observation as we move on. In the Old Testament, this is very, very, very important. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon the saints. Nowhere in the scripture we have the Holy Spirit in. Indwelling is the part of the new covenant. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon a judge, a king, a prophet, an individual, and then he would do the task, what God has allowed him to do, accomplish the task of the master. But in the New Testament, after what Jesus did on the cross, and when he said, I'm going to go back to my father, and he will send you the promised one. After that, we have this very, very, very uh, a new feature of the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside. Verse 27 gives a highlight of that. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow. In you, in you, the spirit of God is in you. We are the sanctuary and something happens from inside is what I would like to highlight from the next one. Let's go down. I hope to bring in three examples uh, today and just stick to the water and the Holy Spirit of God. Can anybody guess this uh, picture? The two individuals in the picture, you have one Jesus and the other one is. Oh yeah, we have a, oh, yeah wow. Nicodemus. Nicodemus, yeah, good. Uh, those who would like to use the chat box facility, you're always welcome. Nicodemus. Now look at this man. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. There was a, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin those days was a small self-rule that was there during the Judean time that the Romans uh, and the Greeks gave to, to the uh, Israelites. And so there was a small ruling committee. There were 70 of them there. And he was probably a prominent member, an elder, elder in that. And they were well-versed with the law well-versed with all the six, 613 laws of, of Moses, the Pentateuch, and they had a lot of commentaries and revisions of that, and they were following the law to the T, but it was dry for him. Somewhere listening to Jesus, he encountered his own dryness. And he said, I don't know what's happening to me. I'm following the law. I'm a member of the Sanhedrin, but still, I'm struggling on the inside. And he comes to meet Jesus in the night. And let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 3. If you have your Bibles this morning, we'll, we'll just stick to John. And the next three uh, uh, passages are going to be from John. So John chapter 3. Now, I want, to, I want to begin a little reverse there. Look at verse 10. After all the questions, Jesus probably gently taunts him. And in verse 10, you are Israel's teacher, <laughs> Jesus said. And you don't understand these things. And he's talking about a new birth. He's talking about movement on the inside. He's talking about the spirit being born again. He's talking about somewhere you can love God and receive his love. And, and Nicodemus was so dried up that he couldn't understand. Now let us go back to verse um, 5. I put it on the screen here for us. Verse 2, let me begin verse 2, the question of, of Nicodemus. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God and no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with you. Somewhere he recognized after, I think first time in his life that, that, that you are a man of God. 
you you've come from god you, you you directly you know somewhere you had your roots from above and you're coming and performing extraordinary signs and we never heard of it we don't understand these things and then jesus gets on to trying to bring in the feature of the holy spirit of god and water there in verse 5 truly truly i tell to you no one can enter the kingdom of god unless you're born of water and spirit look at again water and spirit and born born life a new life and then you have the water and you have the spirit humans can reproduce only human life but the holy spirit gives birth to spiritual life spirit of god is attracted to life whenever the believer moves in the spirit you desire the spirit you desire the things of the spirit look at the new things that are born new things that are born look at when the gift of god is given gift of god has the potential to multiply let me use another parable matthew 25 this man had five the other had two and other had one the one who had five had the potential to multiply god can use you and i i pray the gifts of the holy spirit will begin to operate in your life there's a potential to multiply it's not that you're locked up in just singing ministry. I only do children ministry. I only do this ministry. No, once the spirit of God moves, you don't know. No wonder even Jesus said the spirit moves like wind and you don't know where it comes from and where it's going. That was one of the complaints of Obadiah to Elijah. We don't know where you're coming. The spirit of God will take you and move you. So allow the Holy Spirit of God to flow in your life. And there is, there is that room in your life to see some things that you've never seen before. Your destiny begins to change. And Jesus introduces to Nicodemus. He then never talked about this. Introduces to the agents of the Holy Spirit of God. When new birth happens, there is new life. You experience that connect with God that was missing. That's what Nicodemus is trying to say. You are from God. You do things of God. And look at me. Somewhere he had the question of how come you're able to do this and Jesus introduces the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God gives birth to spiritual life. Now, um, verse 8, I didn't put it on the screen, verse 8, 3 verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it came from. Or where it is going so it is with everyone born of the spirit can i encourage us this morning you cannot control the holy spirit the holy spirit controls you we move we are led we keep in step with the holy spirit of god every time you restrain the holy spirit of god no you become the boss did you know that if, if we, I as a human being, I don't want the Holy Spirit, I keep stopping. That means I supersede his word. I supersede his movement. And I'm trying to tell him, no, I want to be in control. But Christian life is not that. We submit to the movement of the Holy Spirit of God. He's the wind. He's the one who directs our life. We let go. I think Judson said it nicely when he quoted what Paul said I'm crucified with Christ I no longer live my life is controlled ordered ordained established directed by God through the Holy Spirit that's how this new man will live old man will always live a dry life he'll be religious like Nicodemus he'll have all the tools with him yet he will miss that connection with the spirit 
And I pray that we will not live that dry spiritual life when we not have the leading and the move of the Holy Spirit of God. Embrace Him as much as you embrace the flow of the river and water and you will have life. Let me move to a very interesting feature in the Gospel of John and lead us to the culmination in chapter 7. Now, John shows a peculiar interest in water. From John chapter 2, Look at how, how beautiful the gospel is, brilliant the way the gospel of John is written from chapter 2. Chapter 2, water is turned to wine. Chapter 3, you need to be born of water. Chapter 4 is what we're going to discuss. Jesus meets a woman at the well of water. Chapter 5, the pool of Bethesda, where you have water. Chapter 6, unless you drink of me, water and blood and chapter 7 it ends with the rivers flowing out on the last day water living water so look at the unusual occurrences of water in the ministry or of, of teaching of jesus christ and so let's come to chapter 4 emphasis of water this woman is dried up in her personal life chapter 3 a man who's dried up in his spiritual life this woman is dried up in her personal life. And she's got a dried up marriage. She's loaded with baggage on the inside and she doesn't want to face people. I'm so fed up with life. And so Jesus meets her. Let me, let me show you the map of... Uh, Israel to tell the significance of Jesus meeting Samaritan woman. Now this woman is unnamed by the gospel writer. Samaritans were considered illegitimate products of, or children or generation. You know, uh, uh, Samaritan was a synonym for bad word uh, 2000 years ago. Now, if you notice the map, um, I hope you're able to follow my my mouse. There are three words, there are three regions in Israel. The northern is called the Galilee, then you have Samaria, then you have Judea, three regions. And now Jesus was born in this region. Jesus started doing ministry here. And no wonder he was called Jesus of Nazareth top. Now, if you want to go to Samaria, there are three routes to go to Samaria. One is from Jerusalem, and you go through the coastal line the Mediterranean Sea, you go this way and reach Nazareth, or you go via Decapolis. This is the region uh, that you can take to go to Nazareth. And people avoided the straight route, which was through Samaria, because they didn't want to meet with Samaritans. They were considered low class. They probably want to call, they were victims of racism or whatever. And uh, they didn't even want to associate with them. And Jesus, when he started getting a lot of disciples in Jerusalem, and lot of, he had a lot of fan club. He had a lot of people following. And then he wanted to leave this region and go to Nazareth. Mind you, if you're getting a lot of disciples and if, you're, if your church is growing in Jerusalem, why don't you stay in Jerusalem? There's one thing about Jesus that impresses all of us he resisted being spectacular i think pastor jacob chirin put it so nicely when he brought that out uh, 
did not want to make himself known. He was not up to Facebook likes. He was not up to how many people are following. He was not up to clicks and, and pictures and I, my goodness. He was gaining, that is sorry, John chapter 4 verse 1. Look at this. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining more and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus but his disciples. He was gaining more disciples. He was, he was getting a movement there. He was becoming known. He was giving a lot of interviews, appearing a lot of television shows, so to speak. And then he said, no, it's time for me to go to Nazareth. He left Judea and wanted to go back to Galilee. That's the northern region here. Now, on the way, he had three routes to choose. But you know which is the route that Jesus chose? John chapter 4 and verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. Urged by the Lord... I believe led by the spirit, Jesus went through Samaria. This is the place you don't choose because you're losing your popularity. Mind you, if you start associating with Samaritans, your disciples will downsize. But Jesus chose. One interesting feature about Jesus, he took time to meet one person. I don't know if you are that one person this morning. Can I tell you where Jesus' heart goes out? He wants to meet you right in your dryness. He is the river of life. He is the living water. He is the one who blesses us with the promised Holy Spirit. He went to the driest part of the map in Sychar to meet a woman going through her dryness. Every day going to that well which always makes her dry. He goes to meet the one. That's the beauty of the master. No cameras. No publicity. He was not with a fun fair. He was not with a big following and thumbs up. He went for the one. That's the interesting feature of Jesus. He would meet that one blind Bartimaeus. And that becomes the highlight of the gospel story. He would meet that two on the road to Amos. Rather than doing a video and doing a publicity post-resurrection and gaining a lot of popularity for breaking hell, death and the grave, Jesus chose to walk with the two. What a Jesus we have. He, used, he, he goes to the one unnamed demon-possessed person in Mark chapter 5 and sets him free. One. And I believe strongly this morning, he is there one just for that one. I don't know if you're going through dryness. I don't know whether you're going through what's going to happen to my life. What about my job? What about my spiritual life? I don't know what's happening to me. My past, my failures. Will there ever be any good that's coming out of me? What about this season of my life? Should I, where is the breakthrough that I've been waiting? I want to tell you, if it's that one dry person, Jesus passes by. When he passes by, don't miss his movements. He's on the way to Nazareth and the region of Galilee, but he's passing through. That becomes a revival. You see the movement there? The move. The move is what causes a spiritual earthquake in Sychar. So he comes down there and then he looks at the woman. I hope you have your Bible, John chapter 4. I don't have all the verses here on the screen, but I just want to make a highlight here. Jesus answered to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink and you'd have asked him 
and I would given you, and he would have given you living water. Look at the imagery Jesus uses to the woman who's fully dried up. He says, I can give you living water. And then a little explanation of the living water is coming on the way. That's in John chapter 7. And now, if you have your Bible, look at John chapter 4, verses 13. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give you will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give you will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. And have to keep coming here to draw water. Let me draw your attention to this. Jesus was not marketing living water. He's not trying to package that water and trying to say, I've got a better water than this, this well in Samaria and Sychar. I'm not trying to prove that I'm better than Jacob. I'm not trying to, you know, uh, 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 trying to, uh, what you say, push myself into, into publicly trying to declare that I've got this better than that. No. And he says, hey, woman, I've come to bless your life. And she's trying to turn it around. Let's leave that conversation aside. And let's say, give me that water. What is the first thing Jesus says? Give me that water. Jesus did not pull out the water and just give it to her. He said one thing. Go call your husband and come back. Come back. There is a moment of disclosure when you come close to Jesus. Things in our life that dries us up gets unveiled. Are we okay with that? Jesus asked her a very personal question that she was hiding. Probably for with many people in many places, in many circumstances, probably for many years. Don't touch this part of my life, Lord. You want to give water, you give water. You want to bless me, you bless me. But no, but the Lord is touching the part that hurts the most. Unless, I, I, think, I think in Ezekiel it was put straight. Unless we get rid of the old junk, this water does not flow. This river does not flow. Many of us are wanting the move of the Holy Spirit without coming to that moment of disclosure. Allow God to deal the deep-rooted self in us, in you, in me. Give me the water. That's enough. I don't have to come to the well. No, but this water, it leads up to eternal life. It's going to transform your life totally. She doesn't want to meet anybody. She comes alone at the time when no public uh, uh, are there at the well. She wants to draw, but look at the Lord. He says, no, hey woman, you're covering it up, covering it up, covering it up. You, you, you go bring your husband. And the first thing she says is, I don't have a husband. Oh my, cover up. As long as we live a covered up, camouflaged life, putting on so many masks, I tell you, we will not have the move of the Holy Spirit of God, church. The moments of worship and the moments of waiting before God. These things are so essential to, 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 to rip our hearts open before him. When David messed it up, he says, Oh Lord, I need that flow. I need the Holy Spirit of God. Create in me bara. That means remove the junk. Don't repair, but create in me a clean heart. He, he bears his heart open. Now watch this. David... For one year, 
He had an insensitive heart. He sinned against Bathsheba. She became pregnant. The child was born almost a year. He was so insensitive. The moment he had a deep conviction when prophet Nathan comes is when the mask is removed. He's unmasked before the Lord. And I tell you, unless, if, unless we come to that place, oh God, like what, what, what Pastor uh, uh, Prem read this morning, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, I may dwell. The more you dwell in the presence of God, the more you become unmasked in the heat of his presence, our waxes melt. How long will we put our facade? And sometimes we come into a dryness. In our dryness, we begin to hide. We begin to hide our sin. Begin to hide our anger. Hide our lust. Hide our pride. Hide our ego. Hide. Put on mask and mask and mask and, and try to enact. And this woman did that and it dried her life up. How long will we live life's master before the master? He's on the journey. He says, hey woman, do you want this living water? Go bring your husband. No, 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 don't talk about my private life. You want to preach? Preach living water, bless me. Put a cross over my life and send me. But Jesus said, no, you'll start leaking. You know why the Lord deals with our personal life and our sin in our life, anger and pride in our life? Because if he pours the water, we will not be able to contain it. There won't be the flow. We will leak. We will not be able to contain. Things of God won't just, just won't gush out from us. Go bring your husband. I don't have a husband. Ah, you're right in telling your, you don't have a husband. He begins to go and call all the names of the husband. Where is that? Verses uh, uh, 18. The fact is that you have five husbands and the one you're living with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Oh my goodness. At that moment, the mask came off. At that moment, the mask came off. Unless the Lord deals with our so-called masks, we will not have the flow of the Holy Spirit of God. We will not have the whole flow of the Holy Spirit of God. Adam, where are you? I'm hiding. Cain, where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? The cover-up syndrome has been the trend of human race. If we need this encounter of the Holy Spirit of God, the gushing of the water, this mask has to be broken. Come before the Lord and let the Lord deal with our mask. I don't know what is that secret sin. I don't know what is that, 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 that stumbling block between you and the flow. If there's anything Jesus said, I need to break this dryness in your life, woman, and then you'll have the flow of the Holy Spirit of God. Look at that, what happened? In that moment, there was a supernatural encounter in the words of Jesus because he's the living water. And he spoke the word. And when he spoke the word, she agreed. The mask dropped. And you know what's the first thing that happened to the Samaritan woman? There was a movement. Movement. She was a monument. She stuck to the well. I don't want to meet anybody. I'm in my own dryness. Men have cheated me. My past is haunting me. I don't think I can go. But one touch of the master. She left the jar. Because she was already full. She left the jar. At the well, and she went, where's, where's that? Um, verse 21 or 22. I think uh, there's a conversation. Yeah, verse 28. I'm, I, I'm sorry on that. Then leaving her jar at the well, the woman went back to the town. 
and told the people. Come see a man. And what did she say? He told everything about me, my past, my failure, my dryness. And then he blessed me with the living word. River flows. River flows. River flows. When the Holy Spirit of God comes upon you, in you, when he gushes out of you, there is that flow. We'll come to that in the next passage. So this is where Jesus broke the dryness of a man who was caught up in religiosity. Jesus broke the dryness of a woman who was caught up with a personal baggage. And now he comes to this John chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 7. As we pass to John chapter 7, this man who was 38 years old, or 38 years crippled at Bethesda, I'm just passing through John chapter 5 here. He was looking at the still waters. Now Jesus as the living water, he came to this man. He was trying to get into the water, but the water came to him. He was looking at the physical water, but Jesus had to tap him and say, I'm the living water. And he touched him. And what does Jesus say? Look at the momentum. I just want us to highlight that. I mean, want to highlight that word in verse 8. Jesus said to the man, get up, pick up your mat and walk. 38 years you were dried up. 38 years there was no movement. 38 years there was no destiny. You were locked up in this place. You always thought that you should touch the water. And you did not have strength. But the day came, Jesus just like the river flows, he moved to this man. He touched and he, and he said these words, start walking. Can I tell to us as a church this morning, enough of being in the same place and sulking, enough of having thoughts of defeat, will God use me? Is there a plan for my life? What's going to happen to my child? What's going to happen to my health? What's going to happen to my situation? I want to tell you in the name of Jesus, Get up and walk. Rise up and walk. In 38 years, this man never knew what it means to take a step. He never had muscles. There was no calf muscles. There was no, the bones were so dried up on the inside. One flow of the river. Look at the water there. Jesus comes as the living water. Just one touch from him. And that's what the feature of the Holy Spirit of God comes. The more you're full of the Holy Spirit, you will not just stay because the river flows. River flows. Come to John uh, chapter 7, the Feast of Tabernacles. On the last day and the greatest day of the festival. Now this festival was, uh, I don't have much time to explain about the festival. It was, it was called the Festival of the Tabernacles. It was Festival of Booths. And it was also called in Hebrew the Sukkot. They remember how the Lord brought them out from Egypt into the promised land. And so how dryness was broken, they came into a land flowing with milk and honey. Couple of features as we enter this verse. This was an eight day festival. And on the eighth day, uh, this is what Jesus said. Now, a little bit of history here. The festival of tabernacles was held in March. And that was the time, it was a, a harvest time. It was, it was a time of feasting and a lot of produce and uh, was brought in. And from March till October, there was no rains. It, it used to go to a season of dryness. And so at this festival, 
the, the priest and the team would come out of the temple, go to the pool of Siloam, bring in water in a jar, use another route and go back to the temple and pour it before the Lord, beseeching him for water and rain because the next season is going to be dry. And so they, this was their custom. This was the feast. And so on the last day, you had people from all over places coming in, quite a, quite a huge number of people and worshiping the Lord. There was this procession and everything was happening. Re very rarely, Jesus raises his voice there. Here you have one, one place where Jesus said in a loud voice. Now the season of dryness was about to begin in the nation of Israel. And look at what Jesus says. On the last day and the greatest day of the fe feast, we got to always remember when Jesus was speaking using physical or natural terms in order to mean the spiritual. That's where the disciples got confused. Where is the bread? He was talking about the bread of life. Beware of the East. They thought the East that you do in cooking. No, that was not the East. The East of the Pharisees, East of the uh, uh, Herod and, and others. And so Jesus here is using natural terms to speak the spiritual truth. On the last day, Jesus stood and said to, him in a, uh, said to them in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. The move of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit is for those who thirst. Am I a thirsty Christian? Do I thirst? My prayer is that we as a church, everybody, including our children, elderly, young people, those in the ministry, those with the call of God, we will thirst after the Holy Spirit of God. Look at Jesus. He said, don't leave Jerusalem. Ten days, I think. Hunger, thirst, wait. Wait, wait. Good days of lockdown for us. Let's wait. Thirst. He, he, this is not to be given as a donation. This is not for social service. The Spirit of God is for those who are willing to thirst. If anyone is thirsty. Another way to thirst is what Jesus said in John chapter 14. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will send you the prerequisite for receiving the comforter, the advocate, the paracletus. If you love me, we sang that song in worship. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul. Can we increase that hunger and reach that Psalm 27? For one thing I ask of the Lord. It's for the thirsting. It's for those who are asking. It's for those who are seeking. It's for those who wait. Jesus set the prerequisite there. Anyone who's thirsty, come to me. Whoever believes in me. This is the pathway to break dryness in our spiritual life. The water of the Holy Spirit breaking the dryness. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said. So we'll go to that scripture in a while. As the scripture has said, rivers of living waters will flow out from within. A couple of things to highlight very quickly. Bible does not give much room to see as a spiritual picture. See is always got a connotation of evil in the Bible. Mostly. Not always. Mostly. 
One of the examples is Revelation chapter 13. The beast came out of the sea. Revelation 21, I think in the first portion, there will no longer be sea in the new creation. Revelation 22, there will be rivers of living waters. Now, what's the primary difference between sea and river? 15 seconds. Primary difference between river and sea. Salt. Salt, good. But can you pull the answer from my mind out, please? Salt is good, but salt was not in my mind. River is moving. Ah, ah, who said that? Not moving. Ah, whoever said that, have, have a biryani all by yourself today and let it move inside. Yeah. One thing about sea, sea is still. Sea is still. River moves. Very, very nice example is to look at the map of Israel. The river Jordan moves. The Dead Sea does not move. It's called the Dead Sea again there. There's no movement. There's no movement. Jesus himself said, if, if anyone causes this little one to sin, let a millstone be around his neck and be thrown into the sea. Jesus emphasized or Jesus exerted his power over the sea. He walked on the water. But when it comes to river, he says, it flows. There is life. There is life when the river moves. And Jesus said, look at where the river originates. River does not originate from outside. Verse 38, rivers of living waters will flow, flow, flow from within them. That's what we are as a believer. That's what God is calling us to. That's how the dryness is broken. The source of the river is within. If you go to Madikeri, there is something called Talakaveri. Talakaveri is a place where the river originates. It moves into three states, a little bit into Kerala, from here, our Karnataka, and then goes to Tamil Nadu. Kaveri issues, not yet sorted out, but river. Look at how important the river is for us. The source of the river is within. Why within? Because the Spirit of God dwells within. 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 6.19 Know ye not, don't you know that you are the sanctuary, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit flows, dwells in you, and from there the flow is. Don't snuff out the flow. Don't suppress the flow from within you. One of the ways that flows out, we talked about and we prayed on March 30, May 31, on the day of Pentecost, the tongues. The words that flow out, gushed out from Peter on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 fish came out of the water. Let the river flow. Flow. Ezekiel, now as the scripture said in verse 38, you have the word scripture said, and sometimes we missed it out. That is nothing but Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47. Son of man was, uh, took him, uh, and, and the angel of the Lord took Ezekiel, Right, thousand cubits after thousand cubits after thousand cubits, and came to the point in the river where he could not swim. And that river symbolized the living waters where there were three things. We don't have time to go there. The river was flowing, the river had freshness, life was there in that river, and everything was fruitful around the river. Flow, fresh, fruitful. Three F's in that river. And the river of God. I want us to highlight only one thing. 
just show one thing from Ezekiel 47. One thing. Shall we just go there? Ezekiel 47 very quickly. Ezekiel 47 and verse 1. Ezekiel 47 and verse 1. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. Watch from where is the source of the river. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple and I saw water coming out from the threshold of the temple. Threshold, the doorpost of the temple, the temple. The temple was the source of the flowing river. Look at, look at verses, um, tw uh, is it 12? Yes, 12. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both uh, banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because water from the sanctuary flows. Sanctuary, temple, temple. The Holy Spirit of God dwells inside. The source is inside. The Spirit of God is inside. The flow is from inside out. Inside out. That's where the dryness, once the flow is there, dryness is broken. Once we are more full of the Holy Ghost and flows from within and coming out, that's when the fruitfulness is there. Look at, look at the whole thing about the river again in Revelation chapter 22. Verse 1. Then the angel of the Lord showed me, wow, river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God. And the lamb every believer who has that communion with the lamb communion with god worshiping him dwelling on his word there is the source the reason why we enter that season of dryness every time you you you, you don't do it's very simple that we teach that to the children but i hope we understand as adults as christians as believers the more we disconnect from our daily devotion the more we are slack in walking before god we are not spared by the evil one. And the evil one wants to push us to dryness. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, he moves in dry places, dwelling on dryness. But when you're full of the Holy Spirit, he moves to a fertile place, the place of the flowing river. The more you come to the throne of God, there is that flow of the river. Let me come to, uh, there's another verse that's coming in my mind. Psalm 46. Psalm 46. It's quite an interesting uh, verse about the river and the throne. Psalm 46 and verses 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the Holy One, where the Most High dwells. My goodness. In the dwelling place of God, at the throne of God, in the city of there is a river. And when that river flows, there is gladness. Now, rather than asking God, Lord, make the world joyful, I think He has given us the source in all of our lives, in all of us, so that this river will begin to flow. And there will be, there will be that freshness, there will be that fruitfulness. There will be that movement in our lives. In closing, I just want to um, encourage us as we bring this to a close. In passing, let me try to tell you, in the last days, I will pour my spirit 
wind cannot be poured, fire cannot be poured, wind blows, fire falls, but the water is poured out. Water is poured out. And there is that, that flow of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. Question to ask is, do you have the flow of the Holy Spirit? Are you drinking of the Holy Spirit? Is the streams coming out from within you to break that dryness? If there's any ambiguity in that, if there's any dryness in that, I think we need to see God more. Let me close with, with this picture. <laughs> Elijah. Elijah is a very strange character in the Old Testament. His life begins in 1 Kings chapter 17 and he announces dryness for three years. There's, no, there's not going to be any, any water. And so associate Elijah and water uh, there very quickly and then we will we'll bring things to a close in. And I would like to ask Pastor Prem to pray for us. And then the Lord says, go to Kerith Ravine. There will be a brook of water. Elijah and the water. Then the water dries up and then he goes to another woman and she gives a jar. And then he prays for her and then he breaks the dryness over the family. So things are not dry in your family. There's going to be bread and there is going to be oil. Your family is not going to dry up. So God uses him to break dryness. Then in chapter 18, he gets a word from the Lord telling the dryness is going to break. And there's, after three years, there's going to be rain. So he's the man who brings in the word of rain flowing and water. He takes up the whole team to Mount Carmel. And the reason for this dryness is the sex gods, the immoral gods, the Baal and Ashtoreth. He goes and wages war with them. And then he wins the war and then or probably slaughters all the prophets. And then uh, he prays seven times. And then he sees the cloud in the shape of a man's fist. He announces the coming of the rain. Elijah is associated with the rain, with water. After all that, he dries up. He hears one word from Jezebel. One line. In fact, Jezebel does not come in person, but Jezebel sends an SMS. Or probably a Facebook. The Bible uses the word messenger. Probably a Facebook messenger there. What is the word there? I'll kill you. I'll kill you. May the gods deal with me, verse 2, beat so ever severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of, the, one of them. That's my prophets. I'll kill you. Let me tell you how evil spirit works. And, let, and, and again, no much time here. Whenever you hear full phrases in your head, I will kill you. Your marriage life will not work. God will never hear your prayer. Your son will not live. This is how one of the ways you recognize the voice of the enemy. Full, full phrases. This is not from God. This is straight from the pit of hell. Let me talk straight to all of us this morning. I know what the enemy has lied to you. This man was supposed to bring in the rain. He's supposed to move and flow in the spirit. He's a man who's got a mandate and a destiny to finish. Right when he's reached a peak and a season, he comes full flat down. And the enemy begins to speak. Jezebel, the spirit of Jezebel gets inside. I'm going to kill you. 
I know what voices you are hearing these days. God does not know how to work. Everything is a failure. People are dying. Yes, we can have all the news channels trying to scream, yell, and bring in all their, their so-called proposals and conspiracy theories and, and whatnot, permutations and combinations and come up with. I don't know what the enemy has been speaking. And personally to your life, I don't know what the enemy has been telling. In one line, the enemy is trying to tell, it's all over, Elijah. It's all over. It's all over. Your ministry, your prophecy, your standing for the Lord, your zeal, it's all over. God will not work in you. And somewhere, some of you have received a death threat. You're going to die. You're not going to live anymore. It's all over. It's all over. The line of the enemy is all over. I think this is how my life is going to be. Lie of the enemy. Right when you're supposed to move in the flow of the river, there is a sound of huge rain in Jezreel. He's out of Jezreel. Listening to the threat of the enemy, verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Verse 5, or verse 4, he himself went into a day's journey into the desert, dry place. I don't know who is here in a dry place in your spiritual life. Dry place in your walk with God. Dry place and you don't know what to do. This word is for you. God is pulling you out to flow in the spirit. The river of God is gushing out of you. If you can believe. Jesus looked at Martha and said, just believe. If you can believe. Even if your brother is dead, he will live. If you can believe, right in the midst of dryness, Elijah goes into the desert. Now, he says, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He fell asleep. Look at the map here. Just follow the, the mouse pointer. This is Carmel. God wanted him to stay in Jezreel. Jezreel is a place Jezebel is. God wanted him to stay here and kill, get the job done. So there'll be a revival and awakening, a spiritual awakening in the land. But he, frightened, goes down to Beersheba. Oh my. Backslide. Downslide. Right into one day's journey from Beersheba. Goes into the desert and says, I want to die. It's all over. Lord, I don't think I can do. I'm a failure. I'm like my ancestors. You told me to do a job. I couldn't get rid of Jezebel. Idols are still there. Nobody seems to be listening. I don't think things are happening. Jezebel has come back again. Resurgence of her. I don't think, Lord, you can do your work. In the midst of that is when this word comes. I'm skipping a portion. And I'm closing with this verse this morning. The Lord said to him, no. Go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. Wow. Trace your path back child of God whoever it is this morning are you come to a place of dryness and telling Lord I don't think I can anymore Lord I'm feeling so dry in my spirit Lord I don't know what's happening to my life Lord I don't know my future Lord is there any way God is asking you trace your path back my work is not finished don't commit a spiritual suicide before God blows on you his breath and causes the river to gush out of you. It is you the Lord wants to use. 
It is you are the man for the season. You are the one with the mission. You are the one who's supposed to move. God wants to use you and you are suppressing yourself. Trace your path back. Lord, it's going to be desert. Past the desert. Lord Damascus, past the Damascus. Go back. Lord Jezebel is waiting. Go back. Lord, they're going to kill me. Go back. Go back. Move. Don't stay there. Move, Elijah. Move. You go and anoint Haziel, anoint Jehu, anoint Elisha. There is much more flow from your hand. The river, the oil has to gush out. Elijah, don't stop it. I know who is there sitting down and thinking, Lord, will you ever use me? Lord, will ever be a breakthrough in my life? God says yes. God says yes. God anoints three people. You see, Hazel and Jehu are kings, but Elisha is not a king. Three different people are anointed with three different tasks. Anointing is not a photocopy machine that God has and gives you the same portion. Hazel has a kingdom, Hazel has an army. Jehu has a kingdom, Jehu has an army. Elisha does not have a kingdom, does not have an army. Just because somebody has got a, got, got a kingdom, sword, and, and, and chariots, doesn't mean that you need to have. God's anointing are so diverse. Doesn't mean that you need a pulpit. Doesn't mean that you need to sing. Doesn't mean that you need to, you need to imitate somebody. God can use it's the same anointing. The expressions are so different. God uses people with anointing in a very diverse manner. You don't have to imitate somebody. Secondly, when I look at three people anointed, God uses a teamwork to accomplish his task. God is never behind a one-man show. He could call Moses and ask him, your buck stops here. Joshua will take over. Joshua could, could, could lead the people to one place and then ask Judah and Simeon to go and vacate the whole thing. God is, God, Jesus would come three and a half years. Can't he stay another one year after resurrection? He could, but he obeyed the father. He said, no, bless the 11. They will take care of the work and the Holy Spirit of God would come. Anointing, we are anointed in different ways, but to accomplish one task. Elisha, now let me, let me note one thing as we close. Hazael had physical sword and physical army. But look at what they anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And verse 17. Jehu will put to death anyone who escaped the sword of Hazael. The sword of Hazael cannot finish the task. There are some who will escape the sword. You can have the kingdom, you can have the throne, you can have the power and the money, but some will, you will not be able to finish the task, says the Lord. Go to, Je go to Jehu there. Elisha will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. You can be Jehu, you can have the kingdom, you can be the king of Israel, you can have the army and the sword, but that will not finish the task. But for Elisha, you don't have anything because Elisha is the pinch hitter. Elisha is the one who's the game changer and closes the job. Elisha does not have chariots. Elisha does not have sword. Elisha does not have kingdom. What does Elisha have? Elisha has the word of the Lord, which is the sword of the spirit. We can finish the task 
when we move with the sword of the spirit which is the word of god anointings are different but look at how god used elisha i pray that as a church thank god for all the technologies all the help that we are we are we are in the software belt in the city god has put us in different homes in different regions but if at all we want to accomplish the task we got to be a team if at all we want to accomplish the task we need the sword of the spirit it's not about comparing it's not about that is anointed this is not all of us are anointed for a task elijah was said this is the strategy i have god said elijah execute my plan i'm not finished with you i pray that god will bless his word the spirit of the lord is poured on us from high the desert will become a fertile field and the fertile field will seem like a forest i pray that this word will be for our church be for your family be for your personal life that as the spirit flows the desert will be a fertile field the move of the spirit will make that fertile field into a forest dryness depression decay death will be broken and god will unleash the flow of the mighty river to cause an awakening in our lives shall we close our eyes and hand over the service to pastor prem to lead us